Now, introspection. If you had to honestly answer this question, are you successful? How would you answer that? No, no. How would you answer that question? How would your spouse, if you're married, answer that question? Is my husband, is my wife, spouse, would they say you're successful? How would your kids answer that question? How would your kids respond to, hey, hey, do you think I'm successful? What do you think they would say? How about your closest friends? How would they truly answer that? Now, now, how would your body answer that question? If your body could speak, would your body say that you're successful? That you take care of it, you sleep enough, you eat right, proper nutrition? How about your mind and your conscience? How would your mind and conscience respond to that question? Are you successful? How would God, looking at you right now, answer that question? So some of you are saying, uh, success? Does God really care if we're successful or not? And I would say, yeah. But maybe you would rebuttal that and say, no, 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 no. God cares more about us being faithful, not successful. Yeah, faithful, but success is God's idea. You living a life that's fruitful and effective and productive and blessed according to God's economy is God's idea. Joshua chapter 1, 7 through 9, one of my favorite texts. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not fear Do not be dismayed. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, listen, listen, listen. Do not allow the law of the Lord and the words of the Lord. Don't allow this book to depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything that's written in it. Listen. Then you will have success and prosper wherever you go. Did did you hear that? God speaking to Joshua said, hey, let me tell you how you can be prosperous and successful in life. By meditating day and night, by doing all that I've written in this book, you'll be a successful, blessed person if you do that. Psalm 1, David writes the majority of the Psalms. And David makes this observation, Psalm 1, one of my favorites. He says, blessed is the man who does not walk, then he says stand and sit in the seat of mockers and scoffers and all that. But blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water. He has this incredible root system and depth. His leaf will never wither. He'll always have fruit. And then whatever he does, he will prosper and have success. Success, every time you read it in Scripture and ponder it, it is always connected to knowing God, knowing God's Word, obeying God's Word, applying it into your life. Now, one of the most famous sermons ever preached was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, we capture that one. And Jesus comes out of the gate after being baptized 
But John the Baptist and the dove has descended on him, and he begins his public ministry. Jesus comes out and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. Understanding their need for the sake. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed, 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 blessed repeatedly. The word blessed is very similar in concept to the word success. Anybody want to live a successful life? So what we have to do is we've got to make sure that we define it according to God's perspective. God wants you successful. God wants you blessed but he wants you to do it his way, according to his definition, according to his framework. I don't teach that God wants you blessed, thus you can live a lifestyle of name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, this jacked up theology that we find in existence today. It's not biblical. If God names it, go ahead and claim it. But it's more about us surrendering our will to him than anything else. Now, here's a working definition of success. Write this down. Don't miss it. Success, success is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. You would say, this person right here is successful, which means they've got wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. I'm going to break this down more next week about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Above all, get wisdom. So when we think about this, it's getting the skill and wisdom from God so that we can walk in a way that honors him. True success is faithfully using the gifts, the abilities, the passions of your heart, the talents, the opportunities that God tees up, True success is when you start to redeem those for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. That becomes successful. When you, when you start to do life in such a way that you look at what are my gifts, abilities, passions, talents, opportunities, and you start to redeem those moments to advance the kingdom of God, that you become salt and light in a world strategically Declaring the good news, then you start to live successfully. Now, last summer, last summer, I want every one of y'all, listen to this. Last summer, I get a phone call. It was around May, June. Hey, Tim, this is Dan Good. And uh, I'm an ABC News editor. I'm writing a book on the life of Ken Caminetti. And Tim, I'd like to talk to you because you and Ken were teammates, and I, I'm, I'm doing a, a book on his life. Like, cool. Ken Caminetti won three gold gloves. Ken Caminetti was a National League MVP. Ken Caminetti was an all-star in Major League Baseball. October 10th, 2004, Ken Caminetti was found dead in New York City of a cocaine and heroin overdose. I played with Ken Caminetti. I saw Ken spiral. Ken would attend chapel. Ken would hang out at times in God-style environments. But Ken, he just couldn't walk away from it. So Dan Good is doing this interview. He asked me questions for about an hour, and then he poses this question as the conclusion. Tim, 
If we learn anything from the life of Ken Caminetti, what do you think we learn? I'm on the phone with this guy, and I'm like, that is a great question. If we learn anything from the life of Ken Caminetti, what do we learn? What do we learn from the life of Tommy Hansen? What do we learn from the life of Steve Howe and Rod Beck and Lenny Bias, Eric Shaw, and all of these guys who OD'd? And I said, I think we learned this. I think we learn that when your giftedness takes you further than your character can sustain you, shipwrecks are bound to happen. I, I think what we learn is that as a society, we continue to applaud the wrong things. We applaud athleticism more than character. We applaud stardom and materialism more than integrity. We applaud the external while ignoring the substance of a human being's soul. I think, Dan, what we learn is that when your giftedness takes you further than your character can sustain you, shipwrecks are bound to happen. And many of us sit here today, and many of us have gone through it, where we've ignored the warning signs of imminent danger. April 14th, 1912, the ship that God couldn't sink, when it left the coast of Europe heading toward the States, it is reported that the wireless operators on the great Titanic had received numerous phone calls saying, icebergs ahead. But the wireless operators convinced that they were the ship that God couldn't sink, that they were invincible, refused to ever report those warnings to Captain Edward Smith. So hundreds of lives go down. The collateral damage happens. Could it have been spared if they would have heeded the warning signs of imminent danger? So success based on the world's definition is all about power, position, prestige, pleasure, prosperity. The world and the culture we live in defines success in these terms. Look at this person. He's so powerful. One of the most powerful voices in the U United States right now should never open his stinking mouth. You may have money. You may have fame. You may have notoriety. Hush! You don't make a lick of sense, dude. I ain't calling no names. Y'all just go ahead and plug in whatever y'all want to right there. But the culture is an anti-God system. The culture elevates power and position and prosperity and prestige and living on Pleasure Island. Next week, many of us at around 5 o'clock... We'll, we'll start our chips and dip, and we'll start our salsa time. And we'll be sitting there chilling, getting ready for the 50th ever Super Bowl. 
And we're going to be bombarded with all these advertisements and these commercial messages. And I guarantee you, if you see any that promote the lordship of Jesus, and if you see any that define success as having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God, please text me immediately. <laughs> How some of these naked girls are selling hamburgers, and that's, what, 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 what are we doing? Advertisement is going to hit you on how you can get rich quick, how you can make more money, what's going to make your life better. And it's just going to hit us and hit us and hit us. And we're going to sit back going, let him work. Listen to the emptiness of some famous millionaire, uh, millionaires from yesterday. John D. Rockefeller made this observation. He said, I have made millions, but they've brought me no happiness. William H. Vanderbilt said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. And Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Now, now as a culture, we applaud these guys. But in your notes, I've got this. We always pay greatly for chasing that which is cheap. Stardom, notoriety, fame, it's fleeting, it's cheap, it doesn't last, it's got an expiration date to it. But so many people spend their lives chasing after that which is cheap. It's an imitation and it's going to erode. Wealth, here's a working definition of wealth. Wealth is that which money can't buy and death can't take away. Did you get that? The wealthiest people I know are the ones, money can't buy what they've got and death can't take it away. They're a substance-driven soul based on their reckoning of the lordship of Jesus and they've released the reins to say, you call the shots. You call the shots. In 1923, the world's most famous financial leaders gathered up in Chicago, the financial giants of the world. Charles Schwab, he was president of the largest steel company at the time. Samuel Insull was the president of the largest utility company. Howard Hobson was president of the largest gas company. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange. And Jesse Livermore was the great bear of Wall Street. So these guys are the, the kind of people that others envied at that time. They were applauded and recognized as, uh, for all that they had, materialistically speaking. 25 years later, oh, the story turns. Schwab went bankrupt. Samuel Insull died in a foreign land, penniless and a fugitive from justice. Hobson was insane. Whitney had just been released from Sing Sing prison when he died. And Jesse Livermore committed suicide. I like what John Steinbeck said. He said, a strange species we are. We can stand anything that God throws at us except having plenty. He said, if I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much. Then I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. 
Is that not a commentary of the society in which we live? If you want to destroy an individual, give them too much. Give them a surplus. Then what you will create is that you will create a person that will be on their knees, miserable, sick, and greedy. Some of us have been watching the news. Nick introduced me to this concept about a year ago. But we've watched the news out of Texas where this young man struggled from what they said was diseased as affluenza, meaning he grew up with so much wealth and so much stuff that he didn't know the difference between right and wrong. He gets hammered, he's drunk, he takes off, and he kills four people. Well, they show him and his buddies partying, and all of a sudden they're like, he's going to have to face the courts. So him and his mom leave and go to Mexico. And they showed him being brought back into Texas the other day. Can you believe that our society would come up with such terms as affluenza? They don't know any better. No, no, no. What happened is when you, are get, when you get showered with so much stuff, it's going to create such chaos and insanity of the soul. I like what Steinbeck said. You want to destroy a nation? Give it too much. Give it wealth. Give it prominence. Give it popularity and see where it goes. Because God says he's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God has a way of driving us to our knees. So what is success? At the end of your life, how will you know whether you've been successful or not? I want you to think about this. At the end of your life, how will you know whether you've been successful or not? We want to be successful, all of us. I would think we all want to be successful. So I was writing this out, like, did I truly honor my God? Did I trust God? Did I really receive the love of God? How did I shepherd my kids? How did my kids turn out? Did I live a fulfilling life that was substance-driven? Did I encourage others? Did I make a difference for the kingdom? Did I build meaningful relationships? We're all answering that question. Your definition of success and my definition of success will drive how we do life 24-7, 365. Think about it. True success is not power. It's not prosperity. It's not position, prestige. So here would be my question. What are the things that really count the most to you right now in your life? What are the things that count the most? How do you want people to remember you when you die? How do you want them to remember you? You're telling the world a message and a story every day with the way you live. So am I. One of the most jubilant celebratory moments that I've had in the last year was when we did a celebration here in the fall. And we had this celebration on October 31st here. I'll never forget this one. And as we celebrated the life of my brother and my friend and our elder, Julian, it was the craziest celebration I've ever been a part of surrounding a person's death. 
But the legacy that he left and the passion that he lived with, Chad and Nick and Mike and Trevor and Steve and all of us took part in that. And we sat here going, how powerful. Because though he is dead through faith, he continues to speak. His faith has no expiration date. Just this flesh had an expiration date. And I remember sitting there just excited about the glory of the gospel. And I have to do these things occasionally, whether it be a memorial or a funeral. And it happens the same way. I mean, if it's a funeral, would you please stand? And the door is open. The casket is pushed down front. And it's sitting here before people. You've been to it. We're going to it. One out of one dies. I'm a math major. I've told you, one out of one dies. Right? One out of one. What will be the declaration and the legacy of my life? Did I live a successful life according to God's standard? You only have one life. Biblical success is the progressive, did you hear this? Biblical success is the progressive realization of all that God wants me to be and all that God wants me to do. When I start to walk in success, it's this progressive realization. It's progressive sanctification. It's walking in the holiness of the Lord one step at a time. And as I walk in that holiness of God, God begins to shape me and change me and control me. But as I walk in that, I get my wisdom and instruction right here. There's no shortcuts. I read it. I study it. I meditate on it. I apply it. I obey it. You never know what God's doing at any given moment in your journey as you walk in the Spirit submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You you don't know. You you really don't have any clue. I have a 6.30 a.m. meeting this past Tuesday in Kansas City. My buddy Steve sent me a text. Steve lives in Cincinnati. Steve oversees a lot of the baseball chapel ministries in Major League and Minor League Baseball. Steve sent me a text on Monday evening at about 9.30. Do you have any time to meet tomorrow morning? Meetings start at 9, breakfast is at 7.30. I can meet at 6.30. We will be there. You got it. So I go downstairs at the Marriott, and I go over to the food court, and Steve and Matt were already there. So we sit down. Steve has just appointed Matt to be the chapel leader for the entire Royals organization. Big leagues all the way down. Listen, listen, listen. We used to go to spring training every year. We used to take the family to spring training every year. We rented a place every year for a month. We would open up our house and we would do Bible studies. We would do discipleship training. Barb would make all this food. She's still making all this food. Barb would make all this food. And these players would come in. And Mike Powell oftentimes came down a third day. And he would lead worship. Really cool time. 
but we started pouring into these players. Steve Sisko was a minor league player with the Kansas City Royals. They used to train at Haines City, the Braves, in Orlando. Steve started getting fired up about the gospel. Southern Caldew with some Catholic flavor really falls in love with Jesus. So Steve then gets traded to the Braves. He's here in Atlanta. We spend a lot of time together. So when Steve retires from baseball, he feels God's calling him to infiltrate and go into ministry, infiltrate other lives. So now I'm sitting with Steve. And Steve is sitting with Matt. And Steve looks at Matt and says, I wanted you to meet Tim. He mentored me. And I'm like, whatever. And he goes, save it. I'm talking to him. Listen. All right. And Steve starts to coach this guy on what he's about to do. I didn't know back in 1996 that just obeying God in the moment of the now and opening up the word at a Bible study in Florida that 20 years later that the ripple effect would be spreading throughout the nation. So, Hannah has a game yesterday. I come home. Man, it's beautiful outside. I want to wash my truck. I just want to get outside. So I come home, and I'm like, I'm going to throw on some shorts. I'm going to go wash the truck. Well, as soon as I am walking out the door, our home phone's ringing. I look at the home phone, and I'm like, 206 area code, hello. Hey, Timothy, Norm. Norm, what's up, buddy? Norm is 73 years old. Norm was on that team of the Miami Dolphins that went undefeated. Norm came to faith in Christ. Norm started and helped start this ministry called PAO, Professional Athletes Outreach. I came to faith in Jesus in 1985. In 1986, I go to this conference. When I go to this conference, I don't know anybody. They've got Josh McDowell and Larry Burkett and all these people speaking at this thing, John Trent and Gary Smalley, and I'm there. And Norm, this former player, who's got a passion for players, comes over and says, how long you known Jesus? And I said, a year. He goes, I'm going to walk with you. And so he looked at me and he said, we're going to go to the prisons tomorrow. And you're going to share your testimony in the prison. Really? Yes. Now, here's how you share a testimony. It's who you were before Christ, how you met Christ, and how Christ has changed you. And we get over there, you're going to share your story. Really? Hey, Norm. Let me tell you what happened, dude, back in 1986. Your obedience and the ripple effect is crazy right now, Norm. And I think oftentimes, man, we forfeit living in the moment because we can't necessarily maybe articulate what God is doing right now. I have no clue what God is doing right now. But I know the ripple effect when the Holy Spirit is blowing, is beyond my comprehension. What are you doing? I'm walking in the progressive realization of who God wants me to be and what he wants me to do. I'm not attached to an outcome. I'm just passionate about the process. So I'm freed up to be used in the moment with no agenda, realizing that the master maker may be wanting to do something in your world this week that will blow your mind five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. And there may be an entire family that has changed because of your obedience to share the gospel. 
There may be an entire town changed, country changed. The next Billy Graham may be working with you right now may be getting hammered in a stinking bar right now, but it's two weeks before coming to radical faith in Jesus, and God might raise them up to send them to some remotest parts of this earth to declare the gospel. You just don't know, and neither do I. But it's the progressive realization that God is up to something. So true success is not static, it's not result-driven. It's the process of walking one step of faith at a time. What's God wanting to do with you? I don't know. Is God wanting to do something with you? Yes. So where's your world? Who's your friends? Where are those relationships? You can't sit around and live a defeated life any longer. God wants to give you wisdom and skill that will honor him. What can you control, Tim? I can control how I respect people, my attitude, my concentration, and I can give a good effort. But the rest of it is up to my master. You never know the ripple effect. You never know what God is doing in the moment. I'll close you with this. You sow a fault and you reap an action. You sow an action, and you reap a habit. And you sow a habit, and you reap a character. And you sow character, and you reap a destiny. You want your destiny changed? Obey right now in the moment of what God is showing you. Act in the moment. The action must change your thinking the thinking will then start to change the way you have habits, your character, your destiny will be totally blown away when you submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm digging this. If this is for nobody but me, I've had fun today. <laughs> so true success is progressing in our godly character daily seeing the manifestation of righteousness and holiness leak forth from our life. God has placed us here to grow in our faith. God has placed some of you here today to come to faith. God has placed us, if we have come to faith, to head out those doors and let the church leave the building and to take the gospel to our world. God is going to use the word and prayer opportunities, circumstances, and other people that he brings into our world to mature us in this progressive realization of what he wants us to become. Now, Paul, the apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament, concluded it this way. Chapter 3 of Philippians, he goes, you know, I, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day, keeping the law. I mean, when it came to righteousness, I was one of the most zealous people you'll ever meet. I mean, I had studied under Gamaliel. You want to talk about a resume that was thick? Paul goes, dude, I had it. Then he gets to verse 8, and he makes this statement. I count all things, all things, to be lost and view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Amen. 
master, ruler, 24-7, the one who calls the shot. I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them rubbish, dung heap, cow patty. All of my resume credentials is rubbish. In view of knowing Jesus Christ, his declaration is, I would rather have Jesus than silver, gold, materialism, or the applause of man. And my prayer for each and every one of us in this room today is that that would be the echoing cry of your soul. I just want to know Jesus. I want to just trust him. I want him to be my identity. And as that happens, then you crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and you say, God, I desire to have wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors you. I still have a heart for those guys in that athletic community. I still do. Because I don't want to see any more train wrecks and shipwrecks like the life of Ken Caminetti. We've got people in this room right now teetering on a shipwreck. And you're one or two decisions away from dying if you don't repent. Come to Jesus and live.